0: Hello, this is the Frogs of War Podcast. I am Melissa Treewasser and this week joined once again from a very special guest, uh Parker Fleming's online with us. Parker, how's it going?
1: Hey, doing all right. How are you, Melissa?
0: Doing great. Thanks for jumping on. Jamie has a work event this evening. Uh so Parker and I are here. It is four thirty in the afternoon, which is an odd time to be recording our podcast, but there is a very good reason for that. And it's because TCU basketball opens their season this evening at the Shoalmire and both Parker and I will be there in various capacities to witness it. So uh, a little early pod so hopefully people had a chance to get their questions in. Um, and uh, yeah, with that, let's, let's dive right in. So uh, TCU basketball is starting, but TCU football is still a thing that is existing in one form or another at this point in the season. And the Frogs have a tough game ahead of them traveling to Morgantown to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers and so Parker let's jump right in with it how are you feeling about Saturday
1: Not great uh I have looked at um just just briefly started my prep for uh, for a preview that'll go up tomorrow and uh I don't know if this is breaking news but West Virginia's really really good um and TCU has not been so I'm a little worried I think the one redeeming factor is that it's not a night game In Morgantown on Saturday. I think if anything was going to give me hope about anything on Saturday, it's that it's not a night game.
0: Yeah, I think the 11 a.m. tip-off is uh, certainly a nice thing for TCU. I don't know if it's nice enough to change the fortunes of uh, the program, but uh, at least we don't have to play them at night in Morgantown. Right, right.
1: I mean, it comes back to the same thing over and over again. If TCU in 2018 is going to compete... TCU needs to convert scoring opportunities and hold on to the ball. And they have kind of shown us all year. Those are not exactly two things they're interested in doing. So,
0: Yeah, not in a consistent basis.
1: It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm a big fan of the the letdown uh, effect. And West Virginia just had a pretty intense game last week. And so maybe there's a chance to give them a good shot just because they're let down and then they've got, Oklahoma at the end of the season, uh, so it could get weird. I, I think TCU doesn't win. TCU doesn't compete unless it gets very weird. Um, but I'm always interested to see what a TCU defense can do against an elite offense because historically they have disrupted elite offenses uh, some some of the time. I guess I wanted to say all the time, but
0: well, let yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about last week okay. before we dive into this week's game, um, for both teams. So looking back, TCU defeated Kansas State in a thrilling Big 12 style competition that ended in a 14 to 13 game. Um, the frogs didn't look good by any stretch on offense, uh, but, but Michael Collins made enough plays and, and once again did the smart thing in finding Jalen Rayer at wide receiver, uh, which seems to be a really good decision if you're a TCU quarterback, uh, defensively against a, a team that, that is known, um, for its, inability to pass the football uh, gave up quite a few yards between the 20s, but seemed to shut down the cats for the most part in, uh, in the red zone. And so we're able to come away with a, a fortuitous missed extra point or bobbled snap, or they went for t- whatever the heck happened. There was some weird stuff that went on in that game, um, but they hold on and when, is there anything that happened last week by TCU that gives you any confidence going forward the rest of uh, the season? Yes. I'm glad
1: you asked. I talked about this on Twitter because I am, I am on the Twitter now. Um, that uh, the the touchdown uh, for Darius Anderson's touchdown was one of my favorite TCU plays of the entire year, and easily my favorite touchdown with Michael Collins in. Uh, TCU actually showed some closed uh, or some some close red zone opportunities plays, or some red zone plays that were uh, not the wild frog, and that had deception and confusion, and so. Um, I think maybe that indicates there's some willingness to work some different angles and try and go away from TCU's historical bread and butter of throwing a fade three times and then running the wild frog and not scoring. So um, that was encouraging in a little bit. Um, also, the defense really won this game. Um, TCU's offensive percentile performance from last week was 28, 28%, meaning they were in the 28th percentile of team performance uh, out of everyone in, in the NCAA last year or last week, sorry, uh, but their defense was 90th percentile, and so the defense really, really stepped up uh, when they needed it, and so that's going to have to happen again this week. Um, you think about the weird interception at the end, uh, or, or the weird interception off of whatever fake slash uh, not fake extra point that or field goal that was. You think about the downfield pass defense when Kansas State had a shot at the end, and so I was really impressed by – One, uh, maybe a tiny glimmer of hope uh, with offensive adaptation, but also, more importantly, the defense's ability to kind of, when it mattered, bow up.
0: Well, and and it's one thing to bow up against a Kansas State squad that's offenses, I mean, makes the TCU offense look better. Uh, it's another thing to do so against the West Virginia team. And one of the interesting nuggets that came out this week in Gary Patterson's press conference is that the Frogs are down to using a defensive end uh, or using a kicker at defensive end on the scout team. I mean, this this program now has, uh, Gary Patterson said, 20-plus players that are out for the year due to injury. Said he's had 40 players in the program miss at least four games this season and is playing a ton of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen at positions that they were not expected to have to do. And now you look at a, a team with his, Explosive and experience in offense in West Virginia. Uh, how do you think the TCU defense will hold up in, in Morgantown Saturday?
1: I am not optimistic. I told myself before we started this podcast that I wasn't just going <laughs> to naysay. But I think I think uh, Jamie was talking about sometime last week, Just he listed the names of TCU players who have missed time due to injury um, or other reasons this season. And the name was basically just all the TCU players you know and expected to be stars this year. So, yeah, um, especially on the defensive side of ball, side of the ball, just really, really not a lot there. And so it's less of a quality issue as much as it is a quantity issue, especially with a West Virginia team that's going to get um, downfield and spread out fast and then also keep you on your toes with a sneakily decent rushing attack. Um, I think containing West Virginia is going to be really, really hard. Uh, if I were, I am a frog fan. I was going to say, if I were a frog fan, I would be praying for rain or snow or something just super odd this weekend to kind of throw off and, and give the defense a little bit of help. But yeah, between the depth and just the attack of West Virginia, it's going to be pretty tough for TCU to really um hold their own.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that, We've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter, um, you know, pretty much any time that we mention anybody getting hurt about what is it about TCU's injury luck? Are they worse than other teams? Is there a problem with strength and conditioning? And, and I don't think that it's anything that TCU is doing wrong. Historically, the frogs are not losing players at a higher rate than any other program. I mean, they really are. I'm trying to work on, a, on an article right now. I'm just kind of showing just the scope and sequence of what exactly has happened to TCU on the injury front. And, and it's not pretty, like it's certainly a disturbing trend. Um, but it's not anything that you look at and say, oh, well, it must be the strength and conditioning coaches fall. It just looks like it's a lot of bad luck. I mean, most of these injuries are happening on non-contact drills. And anybody that's been around the sport, and um, has been around high school sports, knows that a lot of those are happening because kids just do the same thing over and over and over again. And with the rise of seven-on-seven football and, and all the extra time that kids are doing playing football or playing club basketball or playing uh, summer baseball, they're just most of these injuries, it's just because they're being overused. Um, the different parts of their body being overused, and so I think that's what a lot of the non-contact stuff comes from. Some of it's just bad luck, and it it does seem like when it rains, it pours in football, and we've seen that with turnovers, and we've seen it with injuries, and so it's really not that much of a surprise to me that the frogs have had some bad luck. And when you've got young players um, or guys that aren't used to playing this many possessions, uh, step on the field, I think that the injuries are just more likely to occur as well. So I feel like it's just kind of a perfect storm of of bad luck and and bad choices and just kind of everything that can go wrong will, but I don't I don't necessarily believe that it's anything that TCU is doing wrong by the players. I agree, and I kind of, of I have been twining
1: around with a theory about that as well. Um, first off, you know, Big 12 media days and all offseason, Gary Patterson talked about guys not being 100% and worried about making sure people stay healthy. And so I think, without insinuating any wrongdoing, I think TCU knew that players were more banged up than the general public did Go like, in the off season, And so you start at that disadvantaged position and then you're trying to go through the grind of a season and try and manage injuries, but also you really need your guys to play. And so that kind of trade off there really contributed to it. Um, Also, I think for years we've been conditioned to look at um, TCU as uh, a bunch of two and three stars who will hustle. And if they get hurt, we've got a bunch of two and three stars who can step up and make that effort and and play and fit in the system really well. And TCU's recruiting has increased so much recently recently. That um, the top talent is a lot farther ahead than it ever has been for TCU's um, roster. And so the marginal impact of losing a star is way greater now because our stars are a lot better. And so we're noticing this a lot more. It's not, oh, no, a defensive back went down. Here's, you know, a three star who's going to come in and play hard and be a system guy and help us win the Peach Bowl. It's, um, Oh no! We had uh, you know a, a four-star athlete playing cornerback, and now we've got two and three stars, and that's going to be a significant drop-off. And so I think it's a little bit of we started at a uh, TCU started at a disadvantaged position, and also uh, just kind of that separation in recruiting. The top talent is so much better that switching to a replacement really, really is hurting TCU.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point too, because TCU is recruiting at such a high level, but it's not like they've been doing it for six years so that they right. go, you know, two and three on the depth chart with these three and four star prospects. That's something that we can expect to see hopefully in the near future, assuming the frogs can bounce back from a down year, but um it, it's, this is not Oklahoma, it's not Texas, it's, it's, you know, we're still kind of in the Kansas State, Oklahoma State, maybe not Kansas State, they're pretty bad, maybe, maybe Oklahoma State and, and a couple of years ago, Baylor and the, the level of recruiting where you're going to have great players at the top of the depth chart, but it's not necessarily going to filter down to your second, third string guys at this point. And hence, you end up with a kicker playing defensive end on the scout team. Uh, let's talk a little bit about West Virginia. Um, and I don't really necessarily need to talk about West Virginia, the team or what they're good at or Dana and his Red Bull addiction. What I want to talk about is Will Greer. Crossing the goal line with the high step, putting the horns down and getting just destroyed by Texas players and fans, which to me is uh, the definition of irony um, for that hoity-toity fan base uh, being all upset because a team, a a player celebrated probably the biggest moment of his collegiate athletic career and it hurt their feelings. And I just want to know, Parker, how do you feel about the horns down? And should West Virginia have to forfeit? Okay, so there's a lot of
1: context with that, and I'm going to take the liberty of being wildly personal to start. I grew up in a I grew up in a fan base or in a family of Arkansas Excellent. Razorback fans, and so aside from when they played TCU for two years, I've kind of rooted for the Arkansas Razorbacks and enjoyed mm-hmm. them, and the history that's come along with that has been great. And they were big Southwest Conference rivals, and and. You know, to people who were born in the late 90s, Arkansas, Texas doesn't mean a lot. But to people like my dad who were born in the 60s, Arkansas, Texas is the one of the bigger rivalries in, in college sports. And we had uh, in, in, in and around my house pictures of, for instance, one of the early 90s Arkansas women's basketball teams doing the horns down um, as their team photo. So not like they were playing Texas or anything, but their team photo, they were doing the horns down. Um and so that's been conditioned and grained in me. And so I'm I'm a little biased because I've been I've been throwing the horns down since I knew how to make my fingers do things. Uh so yeah, it's it's a it's it's a great thing. I think the best point I saw about this all out of anything was Spencer Hall made a point where he said he watched Missouri get in the get in the end zone mm-hmm. and do the gator chomp all day against Florida and there was no flags and West Virginia on the biggest play of the game, perhaps the biggest play of the season for West Virginia does horns down and that's magically a penalty. Um, I thought that was pretty Bush league. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into my Tom Herman, uh, rant right now, but I would just say, it's not a good look to talk about decorum and respect and, um, all of that. When the week before you were on the field, pointing at a coach and players and calling them MFers, uh, because you got beat. So, um,
0: Yeah. And a year before, making fun of a Missouri quarterback yeah. and doing his celebration mockingly. And that was kind of nasty. I remember watching Kobe that. And yeah, and that was less...
1: Will Greer was more like, um, what's up? I just did something awesome. Yeah.
0: It's it, it 23 years old. He's 23. Tom Herman is supposedly a man, and he's older than 40, so... I don't yeah, understand. I mean, what his I, I still, problem is. I don't know if we're turning
1: into an anti Texas podcast, but I'm okay with it. I still maintain that Tom Herman's biggest uh, accomplishment is recruiting Ed Oliver. Not and either. outside of that, he's done nothing except be a candy ass uh, everywhere he's gone. And so, yeah, I just, I hate that stuff. Um, it's, it makes the game about you and not about the players. It's a great way to distract your fan base from the fact that you have clear deficiencies in your game plan and in your um, team chemistry and in your locker room leadership. And so I understand why he's doing it, but it's still stupid. And um, yeah, for you as a professional uh, on the biggest stage in the big time to make everything about a 23 year old who just beat you, just plain up, no question, beat you. Um, even when he did that stupid little timeout thing, and then Will Greer was able to go and convert again and get the two point conversion to win. I just, I think making it about the mm-hmm. opposing player and pretending like that matters is just a great way to deflect from anyone holding you accountable for not being very good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with you. At the end of the day, this is college football. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about the fans. And the thing that makes college football so much different than the NFL is there's is a deeply personal association with these teams. Um, whether it's people that went to school at these universities, whether it's people that grew up in the area, grew up with family that, that rooted for them from the time they were old enough, like you said, to make their fingers do things and, and learn that horns down, like, if you're gonna be that easily offended by a hand motion mocking your hand motion that you used and constantly shoved in other people's faces every time you do something good, then you're in the wrong sport. These kids aren't getting paid. Will Greer makes I mean, it's hard for me to find a moment that was bigger for West Virginia than winning that game in Austin when you look at everything that's at stake and you look at how they performed in November over the last several years. And so, um, let him have some fun. He didn't, he didn't go up to a player's face. He didn't step over a player. He didn't run in and horns down right in Tom Herman's face. He made a symbol in Austin in front of a hundred thousand fans that just said who i also, just beat your team and knocked you out of the playoff. Hunt. Yeah, oh like, yeah, that's, and and
1: and that's a and, and who cool also like you saw earlier on he scored and ran up to the student section and like he went he didn't run up to it he was like out of the back of the end zone and you could see from the screen grab that some objectively way worse things than the horns down were happening to Will Greer from the students. It's so, like yeah, let like, let him get his thing of yeah. like let sure. his get him sh- let him get his shots in. And honestly, Tom Herman, if you don't want people to disrespect you, uh, win, like win, you know? Yeah.
0: Win. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and the, the thing I'll end with on that is that yep. at the end of the day, the players need to decide the games. And what Will Greer did did not negatively impact Texas's opportunity to play defense in that moment. And he didn't hurt anybody. He didn't make it. They didn't have any illegal pick plays. They didn't do any chop blocking. He just made a movement, and and that should not – I I have real issues with the way the NCAA is officiated in so many regards and the excessive celebration penalties and taking the fun out of football. Like, there needs to be a limit. There needs to be some level of sportsmanship, sure. But a simple hand gesture should never be a reason that a team wins or loses the game. And, you know, in a vacuum, had they penalized him in that moment, very likely West Virginia would have had to kick the extra point, which meant going into overtime. And going into overtime, who knows what would have happened. And if if Texas had won that game – and had an opportunity to play for a Big 12 championship because Will Greer flashed the hand, the te- the horns down. That's a real dumb way to get a team into a conference championship game. Because yeah, really well, I, I I would be remiss. So we'll I would be to- remiss if it, I let us finish
1: nice. without talking about the Kenny Hill throat so slash and how stupid stuff oh, like ahead. that, where they clearly misinterpreted what he was doing, clearly doing a seatbelt, uh, and it gets called, and TCU kicks, and Arkansas is basically already in field, field goal position, and that changed the entire game. Sorry to bring that up. I'm sorry. I apologize.
0: Block that out of my memory. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. And that really, and that really changed the whole trajectory of the season in a lot of ways. That was the uh, Ohio State third quarter, but you know, the uh, Arkansas overtime. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of issues in college football. That seems like a very, very fixable one. Um, be better so Tom Herman. Be better NCAA. Be better. Um, moving on. So. I don't know how much we want to talk about the actual West Virginia team and what they look like. I think we've all kind of seen enough of them to know they're pretty good. They run the ball in an impressive clip, like you mentioned. They pass for over 300 yards a game. They're scoring nearly 40 points a game, and their defense is more than good enough. Um, I'm not sure if you've had time to really dive too much into stats. I don't really want to put you on the spot in that regard. Um, but is there any weakness that you've seen in in the years just from watching them play um you know they struggled against Kansas a little bit they lost up in Ames only put up 14 points against a really good Iowa State team um, but um, I mean, yeah I'm glad you asked and I love PC when you put me on the uh, spot but morning?
1: I uh, uh, as an aside cuz you mentioned that with Iowa State how the hell did TCU beat so Ohio or Iowa State like what a lucky draw to get them before Purdy. Uh, that 's basically our ball eligibility case uh, on the fact that matt campbell didn 't pick the right starter yeah that's yeah. just that 's crazy um, yep. okay west virginia 's defense, so just looking at the five factors big picture, uh, West Virginia is uh, got got a red mark on my graph in two areas: one uh, opposing success rate and two opposing points per scoring opportunity so those two things mean uh, they 're letting people move the ball pretty well. Um, on a a pretty consistent basis. Um, They're limiting big plays really well, and they're keeping you in in bad field position relatively, but they are allowing sustainable drives, and they are letting you score when you have an opportunity, which is great for two reasons. One, TCU is in the top 50 of success rate, and so TCU's offense has actually been able to move the ball pretty decently, um, and we've seen that. They, on the, well, well, let's think Wait, about that with more. the Kansas game. What if TCU <laughs> scores a touchdown that. on that first drive instead of running a stupid play on fourth and one? Or what if TCU scores uh, three points there, right? We don't lose to Kansas. Things are things are entirely different. Um, and so TCU's been able to move the ball. They just throw an interception or they uh, can't get into scoring opportunity. Again, it's only a 43% success rate, so it's not like they're running it you know, through people's throats. But that means on first down, they're more often than not getting half the yards on second and third down, they're getting, you know, 60% of the necessary yards. Um, And so that's been Rocky and that's been transition and that's a whole season stat. But if you're looking for something to say, what could TCU do, slow the game down, sustain some drives and then take advantage of West Virginia being pretty bad at at preventing scoring opportunity or preventing scoring opportunity conversions. Mm
0: Um, I think that that gives us some hope, and, and you're right. You know, I guess when we think about it, we look at the scoreboard. It's hard to believe that TCU could have any kind of offensive efficiency attached to their name whatsoever. But when you look at the ways they haven't scored, it becomes a lot easier to see. You know, like I was talking about with Kansas State, moving the ball between the 20s doesn't seem to be much of a problem for the frogs. It's once you get into that scoring opportunity zone, actually converting those chances and not having a butt fumble or being unable to get a yard because you shotgun snap it directly to a running back or continuing to throw the fade route to your smallest wide receivers on the field. Um if you take away all those things and just were able to convert the opportunities that you should. We're probably looking at a TCU team that's averaging in the 30 points plus per game area as opposed to know, I mean, yeah, not great. Up Here, two two or three touchdowns the last month and a half per game. Um, so I think that's a really yeah it's a really good point. Um, as far as the West Virginia offense against how they match up against this TCU defense or what's left of this TCU defense. Um, you know, we, we've got a banged up Jeff Gladney who may or may not go banged up, uh, Julius Lewis, who's kind of gutting it out. And then a bunch of young guys, a linebacker playing safety. Uh, is there any area where the Mountaineers are vulnerable? Yeah. So kind of
1: contributing to the theory of it needs to get weird if TCU is going to compete. West Virginia's success rate overall is, uh, 52.2%. That's fifth in the nation on offense. Um, but when you look at their blitz success or their blitz down success rate, that falls to thirty three point nine percent, and that that falls them all the way to a shocking thirtieth in the nation. Um, but seriously, they have a, a they're fifty first in blitz down sack rate, and so under pressure, they aren't much worse, but they are significantly worse. Um, you know, they're still really really good, but that is a that is a place I see that West Virginia is substantially different than their averages. And so that might be an opportunity for TCU, especially knowing that the, the defensive secondary is going to be thin, try and get to Will Greer, force him to get those check down routes, and, you know, avoid a 17-yard pass in favor of a 7-yard pass here and there.
0: Um. I- yeah, Absolutely. The frogs have no shot if they if the defense yeah, has. Which to has cover, been something TC you know, struggled like with to all year. I mean, three to five I think on every single out spot. of there's necessity
1: there's no in Gary's mind, we've been running a three man front, and that just doesn't cut it because we're not getting there. Bandagoo can only do so much. Uh, uh, the other thing that I noticed about West Virginia and their mm-hmm. offense is that their third down distance is their average third down distance is seven point six yards. That's almost 80th in the nation. And so, um, granted, they are getting a lot of their first downs on first and second down, but when they face third down, it's going to be for eight yards. So, you know, a little bit of pressure along third down, uh, it looks like that could be a little bit of a recipe to at least disrupt West Virginia, if not, you know, actually do something crazy.
0: So on that note, uh give me your a guy on offense, a guy on defense that you think is either primed to have a big game or need sorry a is big this no longer for the sanctioned picks to, have to click? Going off a, a pretty significant upset. Did
1: our did our sponsorship deal run out?
0: <laughs> uh it is indeed picks to click. I I went with the long I went with the long um, route. There. Okay, um, on, on offense I'm going to go you with my um picks to click Parker.
1: I'm going to go with uh, my my thought about the TCU offense needs to slow things down and they need to have success consistently and get long drives. I'm putting uh, I'm, I think Darius Anderson should be the backbone of the offense this week if TCU is going to win. Darius has struggled for a lot of this year. He's got 5.1 yards of carry. He only has three rushing touchdowns in um, 104 rushes. But I think that a lot of that has been design. And if a few plays last week are any indicator, perhaps TCU is gearing up the run game a little bit. And so I think if TCU wins, it's because Darius Anderson had his best game of the season.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, We've all been wanting Jet to get going here this year. And it seems like every time he takes a big step forward, he something happens, a fumble or uh, gets dinged up or get, somehow gets in Patterson's doghouse and doesn't play for a long while. But you're absolutely right. If, if he doesn't have a big game, uh, there's no shot for TCU to win. I'm going to take the cheat route here and go with the guy who has been TCU's hottest offensive player for the last few weeks and go with Jalen Rager. Um, he is the only known quantity on this football team right now. And Michael Collins, the thing I love about him, there's a lot that I don't love about him, but the thing I love is he seems to know who his best player is and seems 100% committed to finding ways to get him the ball. Um, and, and it's been really effective. I mean, he's got over 300 yards receiving and a couple of touchdowns in the last couple of weeks under Michael Collins. It looks like he's having no problem getting open, and I definitely think that he can create space uh, against this Mountaineer defense. And if he gets loose, if Collins can find him, uh, you know, he can make some explosive plays, he can make some game-changing yep. plays and, and do some big things for TCU's offense, hopefully, because they're going to have to score. They're not going to win this game 14 to 13, especially in Morgantown. It's, they're going to have to find a way to get 30 yeah. points. And I, I think, think that's if they a pretty do good – um, oh, yeah. I on think the 30 points of, is a pretty uh, good bellwether for
1: his T T U even uh, how competing. How um, um, oh, and, yeah. and I hope that with Jalen Rager, maybe we go to him early and he kind of attracts some attention. And yeah. then I would love to see Tay Barber continue to step up. Um uh, especially filling the role, uh, that we won't talk about, but, you know, very similar kind of a player, fast, a yeah. little bit bigger, yeah, and has some opportunity to really be that kind of on field everywhere kind of threat, in addition to Jalen being a long threat. So, yeah, I think Jalen's going to be key to that, just opening up the offense as well. Um, cool. All right. So defensive pick to click. Um, I think about, yeah. man, I, there's just so many guys playing that, um, haven't really been playing all year. Um, I, I think you just got to go back to Ben Banigu. Pressure is going to be so important on Will Greer. Uh, West Virginia knows his name and is going to be keying in on him, and he's just going to have to do something magical. He's going to have to get his NFL highlight reel this weekend if TCU is going to win. So my, um is my pick-to-click on defense.
0: Yeah, it, this is a game where he probably has to score or at least get a couple of strip yeah. sacks or an interception or something. Like it, he's going to he's not only going to have to get sacks, he's going to have to force turnovers.
1: I will say um, if uh, if Ben Vanegu scores that, like 30 said, points, TCU will win this game. Is,
0: is the Frogs only only real hope here. Um for me, uh, you know what? I'm completely on board with you. I would take that bet. Um and be very confident in it. Uh, my defensive takes to click is I'm going to stay right on the defensive line. And that's mostly because I have no idea who's actually, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to change mid flat. I was thinking LJ Collier. I think that that's a big one. He can have a big game, but the guy that super impressed me in stepping up into a role is Juwan Johnson. Um, he was such a highly touted transfer as a grad transfer out of NI, NIU, um, was, was very heavily recruited by multiple programs. Um, a guy that everybody wanted. And did not get opportunity early because Garrett Wallow beat him out in camp, but with Wallow playing safety, Juwan Johnson has stepped in and, and was very disruptive on Saturday against Kansas State. He seemed to always be near the ball, made tackles, made plays, uh, got his nose in there, and just kind of seemed to be a guy who was a problem for the Kansas State offense. And, you know, he doesn't have – he's not a huge linebacker. He's another smallish linebacker. But he's super efficient, super effective. And if he can have a double-digit tackle day – you know, same thing. Maybe maybe stick his helmet in there, loosen up a ball, cause a fumble, something like that. Maybe be used as a blitzer play guy. You know, playing kind of a guy closer to the line. Um, he he's somebody I think could have a really big afternoon um, and and make make some things happen for TCU or a guy that could com- get completely lost uh, in pass coverage at some point and give up a sixty yard touchdown. Like I just really have no idea what to expect out of him, but. I'm going to say he has a Absolutely. Big I, I think he's so really well important.
1: I think he lost to Garrett Wallow in the preseason area, yeah. because of system and like concerns. Area, yeah. but we're going to go with and as TCU's injured um, and as they play West Virginia but. and are going to have to scrap to win, uh, it's going to be less system and more playing yeah. football. And I think Juwan Johnson's a really good football player. Um, and so hopefully that gives him an opportunity to, to do what he does best. Yeah,
0: I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what we need to see. Like I said, things are just going to have to kind of get weird. Uh, speaking of getting weird, uh, it's a real weird week in the uh, conference in that we have a couple of big-time rivalry games that probably are going to be pretty one-sided. Um, in addition to TC and West Virginia playing at 11 a.m., we also will be able to tune into the exciting Sunflower State showdown as Kansas travels to Manhattan and the Little Apple to take on the Kansas State Wildcats. Uh, Kansas and Kansas State are both three and six and one and five in Big 12 play. Uh, the frogs avoided the dreaded state of Kansas sweep by knocking off the cats, but, uh, unfortunately, I was on vacation the that week. is unmentionable on this podcast because it's a family show, um, and losing <laughs> Kansas. So we won't talk about that one. Um, what do you see happening? That's probably why it's your fault. Uh, uh what do you see happening in that big, important showdown? You know, showdown, people are going to uh, go on the field really and
1: they're going to play a game. And there are going to be things done on that field on Saturday.
0: Hmm. That's pretty much it. I feel like you pretty much summed it up. Uh, very interested to see. There are rumors sw- swirling around Lawrence that Bill Snyder could be close to calling it quits. Um, at one point, I actually had somebody say that he was announcing his retirement to his team Nobody really knows what's happening. It looks like Snyder could be on the way out. Um, and if that's the case, um, you really hope to see him get a couple of wins down the stretch and not to leave the program, um, you know, on such a negative note. Uh, that being said, um, not nobody else is losing to Kansas this year. It's going to be just TCU that did such a thing. Uh, and I think Kansas State runs over it. Uh, at the afternoon slate, a uh, couple of interesting games. The suddenly red hot Baylor Bears go to Ames. That Any was, that was fun. Like, I just tried to watch that game and pretend State that Baylor was some other team. And doing that,
1: I was like, oh, Iowa this is and this and pretty fun. Win. Um, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're definitely, yeah. TCU's definitely losing to him this year. Um, I, I mean, Matt Roll's a good gonna, guy. And do, so you can at least really applaud good, that. Really and yeah, Baylor is kind of, they haven't exactly linearly improved as the season's gone on, but, they've played a little bit better um and they've gotten some results that have been pretty great eked out a close win versus kansas state um eked out a, a close win uh, against oklahoma state both of those their win expectancy uh, is a little deceptive though so post game win expectancy against kansas state was 28% post game win expectancy against oklahoma state was 35% um and they lost a game against texas where they had a, a 68% post game win expectancy so they've played well but uh they haven't, they haven't really done what they've needed to win games. And I think that kind of becomes harder as the season goes on. Iowa state is, is on a roll. So I I think, I think that one's a pretty, I think Baylor will hang tough for the first half, but I think that one's pretty decisive uh, Iowa state.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Baylor is doing some things well to where you can, I mean, Baylor has a chance to get bowl eligible against TCU and make sure that TCU doesn't get bowl eligible. That's going to be something really magical down in Waco uh, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but that being said, I think they get absolutely smoked this weekend. The one thing that I really have questions about is Baylor has yet to decide on a quarterback. It appears. And so I'll be interested to see if Charlie Brewer's confidence has been shaken, or if he gains a lot of confidence for coming back in that game, since he cleared concussion protocol miraculously so quickly um, to be able to play against Oklahoma state. But I think, I think Iowa state continues to roll. They are a dark horse contender to somehow sneak into the big 12 championship. I don't think they will. But
1: well, could they have a, and
0: that, that would be,
1: Oh, sorry. They, they have
0: a, they have a good shot just in the fact that they have both as well. uh, also, Oklahoma
1: and West Virginia behind right. them on their schedule. And so in terms of thing getting weird, things getting weird, if, Iowa State wins out, OU and West Virginia are going to lose, um, or one of them is going to lose to the other. And so Iowa State does have a pretty good shot at the at the championship, which I'm okay with unless they're playing us. I like Matt Campbell. I like Iowa State. I think games is weird, so that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're,
0: they're, Iowa State and West Virginia, to me, are the same. When they're not playing us, they're generally teams I like to see have success because I like their coaches. I love their fans. They're good people. They talk a little <laughs> bit of crap, but not so much so that it's offensive. But you know what? West Virginia did put the horns down, so maybe I'll take it back. They're a very disrespectful fan base. Um, also happening at 2.30. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought this Beckham.
1: game had already happened this uh, year. That's the least exciting uh, game I've about, I cared about it. in the
0: last five years. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone cares.
1: I mean, man, I don't even know what Oklahoma State is. <laughs> Oklahoma State is like the embodiment of the Heisenberg principle, though. Because like, they've looked good, and then you think they're good, and then they're bad, and then you think they're bad, and then they we beat really Texas. Bad. But then you're we like, oh, bad. Oklahoma State's good, and they lose to Baylor. Texas is kind of bad. But it's just one of those things where like they've been very fluky, but they, they've they been fluky in their results, but pretty consistent the in their play. Is um, I don't think Oklahoma's losing again this season. Um in, in this regular season, so I don't. I don't think they have a shot. But um, yeah, it, it it is probably the least fanfare for bedlam that we've had in the last you know five years when Oklahoma State's been pretty good and OU's had this little reign of dominance going on, which probably means that Oklahoma State will actually win for the first time. But um, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This 100% be the year that they win, without question. Like, it's a given. Um, the last game is, and this is a real scary game if you are a Texas fan. You come in, you've, you've dropped from being number seven in the first playoff rankings all the way down to, to 19 and eight people. You're on a losing streak of two straight games. You've lost both in really gut-wrenching fashion, and your reward for all of that punishment is playing in Lubbock at night in November. Yeah, I
1: don't uh yeah, is that was Texas a vivid and, image like, that took me to a place. But I'm um to use your right Uh now. yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm vamping right now because Gally, I'm pulling right? up. Oh yeah, okay. I was pulling up uh Viva the Matadors to see if Texas Tech is wearing yeah, black again this year. Okay, don't yeah, don't 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 I, I'm not liking oh, anything. God. They just uh, don't had give them had um blinks,
0: Please I mean, yeah, they're great. their
1: uniforms <laughs> against OU were black, and so they had their profile mean, went dark, and so I was I was just confirming the uniform right there, um, and so yeah, so they're wearing black. It's a night game, but again, this is like the Tom Herman yeah. thing. He doesn't win games he should, but he wins games he shouldn't, and so we have to kind of look at the litmus test of should they beat Texas Tech uh, in Lubbock on a Saturday night this year. Probably not. So will they? Probably. I think Herman's a pretty rah-rah guy. He's probably talking about horns down and, you know, yelling at people about them being insecure and firing them up in whatever way he, you know, thinks That's is right. cool and manly, I guess. But, yeah, so I, I, I think this will probably be very similar to OU last week. And Texas Tech had a shot, and the bounces didn't go their way. So maybe it does go their way. I would flip a coin about that game and not bet any money on
0: Yeah. Texas is just a two-point favorite. Um, the, the biggest thing for me right now is it looks like Alan Bowman is out again, maybe. Um, suffered another, um, I believe something kind of related to the collapsed lung. And so he might be done for the year. If Bowman doesn't play, I don't think Tech wins this game. Uh Duffy hasn't shown me enough to believe that he can win a meaningful game against a, a good defense um, without being able to throw the ball. And Texas is even though they are almost as banged up as the frogs are right now defensively, yeah. um, is still a, a better defense. And I, I think that they can contain. They have the athletes to keep Duffy in the pocket. And if Duffy has to play from the pocket, Texas is going to lose this game. I mean, there's just no question. Um, the, the reason they beat TCU is because he got out and ran and made some really nice plays with his feet. I and mean, then they made the you know one or two passes, big pass plays when he needed to. But at the end of the day, I don't I don't think he's a good enough quarterback to to beat Texas even at home. But love well, it. It's weird, so who knows? Um, very quickly, before we, we dive into some other TCU athletics here, go around the country for some of the ranked matchups that we have. It is a week slate of games. Um, the highlight game day game this week is uh, Clemson at Boston College which, you know, someone who has family that went to BC. I am a BC that apologist this year
1: because I watched that weird hurricane game that was at, like, no 3.30 on a Thursday afternoon. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, home, they're, right? they're as good as they've ever been, and for having their coach being almost fired basically two years ago, um, this is pretty incredible. Yeah. But, yeah, I think this is just giving Clemson an opportunity to solidify their number two slot for the playoff. Yeah. Um, I don't imagine BC is going to have a particularly raucous crowd or any kind of atmospheric advantage. So, yeah, I think I think Clemson is just going to get prime time to be able to show that they are, in fact, a very good football team.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think Boston College could make it interesting for a little bit, but in the end, Clemson. Clemson is favored here by, oh, let me get pull up that line. Clemson's favored by 20. I will not be surprised if they exceed that line. Uh, Man, being favored by 20 against a ranked opponent on their home field with college game day in town. That's the state of college football today, folks, Um, if ever there was one. Uh, only other ranked matchups that we have. We'll, see, we'll go through them real quick. Ohio State at Michigan State. Michigan State has a penchant for knocking off big uh, No, I
1: think Compton destiny big is 10. that Ohio State uh, a lot of controversy uh, wins in Columbus, the rest of their games uh, and, and beats the the Michigan and ruins Michigan Michigan's season. Yeah, so I don't think Ohio State will lose this game. Um, yeah, it is funny how quickly, when you're not uh, going to win a championship guaranteed, you're less uh, tolerant of your coach and his nonsense. I don't know if there's... You know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but it's, it's just uh, interesting to watch how you lose on the big stage and uh, suddenly your boosters are dissatisfied. Yeah. Alabama points. Alabama um, points uh, every time. at
0: Alabama. They're Alabama ridiculous. is favored over the number 16 ranked team in the country by 23 and a half points. Do they beat the line? Oh. Alabama points. Yep. Uh, other interesting games. Nope. On Georgia's the slate. getting Auburn a little bit of revenge Georgia. for last year. Auburn's looked um, so
1: good early and in Georgia's so really good. Terrible. So, yeah, um, no. Lately, uh, Auburn is not good. good. Auburn's not country. winning this game.
0: Yep. Yep, I completely agree. And then one other just kind of interesting game, um, another team that started off so well but has really fallen uh, back in the pack. 12 uh, losing four straight games, I believe. Uh, Colorado is hosting Washington State. The Cougars are sneakily in the mix for a top four spot. A lot of things need to fall their way in order to break through, but uh, they have a clear path to a Big Twelve, cha- a Pac twelve championship. Um, they'll. You know, have to, to play the Apple Cup here late in the season well, against Washington, but Washington. They'll is not beat Colorado. Really
1: scary Colorado's not very team good. This year. Um, Colorado should uh, have lost to Nebraska. The, they've, they've, they've kind they of scraped by and had the benefit bridges, of, you know, know playing not great teams out, and then on, kind of the road, skimping by. I, I think they got smacked by USC earlier, who USC is not very good. So, um, wazoo. I'm disappointed you didn't go to Iowa Northwestern there. Iowa, Iowa, Iowa Northwestern is the game of the weekend, but, uh. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, well please this is div- tell, tell me about why this. This is the
1: division championship well, I mean, right North here, uh, which I think is hilarious, especially is like when you look at, let's say, either Oak- what, o- what OU or game? West Virginia wins play, out, it, has, has one, against, one loss, Big, big 12 game. champion. They're going to be head-to-head against Michigan for that fourth playoff spot. And Michigan's marquee win in the Big Ten championship could be Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern is a terrible team who wins games, Um, I don't know how. And so if Iowa can't win this, then the Big Ten's playoff chances are a little bit tenuous, especially because you're looking at having, you know, potentially six one loss teams and strength of schedule is going to matter and that that you need that conference championship boost and the Big Ten championship might not be that super powered with Northwestern in it.
0: Interesting. That'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, that takes us kind of around the yeah, slate is. in college football. But uh, college football is no longer the only college sport that we need to be paying close attention to. College basketball is back, uh, but it does have something in common with college football. And that's that it seems like there is a clear front one, runner from day one who is going to be uh, unbeatable. Potentially they'll lose a game, but man, Duke, yeah, two, I um,
1: they they were incredible. And, I, I watched oh the Kansas boy, Michigan State Duke game and thought, wow, horrifying. Kansas is an otherworldly. Uh, and then I watched season, the Duke not. game and thought, no, Kansas is firmly on planet Earth, and Duke is on you know Jupiter. Um, yeah, basically everyone who played last night for Duke had an offensive rating of above one hundred and twenty, <laughs> which is just stupid. Yeah, they just they just did whatever they wanted. They are pretty incredible which is great cuz they're all freshmen and they'll all be gone next year and none of them are Grayson Allen so you can root for them and be like that's fine if you're good you're not a jerk so yeah they were just they yeah. were just freaking good and they're all freshmen yeah
0: Well, and the, the thing that did give me just a little bit of hope in watching them is um, I don't expect TCU to be a championship contender. But one thing I did enjoy seeing was four freshman starters gel that quickly on defense and play well together on that end of the floor. Because TCU is going to be counting on a lot of young guys, especially on the defensive end. Uh, the scoring is pretty well settled with your veterans. You've got Alex Robinson, Jalen Fisher when he comes back, Desmond Bain, Quat Noi. These are all guys that can put you know can light it up in bunches. The defensive is going to the defensive end of the floor is going to be the question mark, and I think J.D. Miller has, has been well reported by Frogs of War, by Star Telegram, by everybody with an interest in college basketball is going to be asked to be the guy defensively, but he's going to need some help. And seeing some of those young freshmen for Duke buy in and play so well so quickly, it's got to be uh, give TCU fans a little bit of hope that maybe their young guys will do the same. Uh, season tips off tonight against Cal State Bakersfield. Should be an easy one for the Horned Frogs. But saying that, uh, Baylor lost to Texas State, you know, Tuesday night too. So who knows? Um, but there's a lot to be excited about about this team. Uh, we, we've had a great preview series. Christian is back covering hoops for us. Uh, wrote some good backcourt court previews you should definitely check out. Had a post on J.D. Miller go up over the weekend. A post, post on Alex Robinson go up today. The pieces are there for the Frogs to compete in a yet-again a very tough big 12 conference. Kansas looks like you said, the class of the, of the league. Uh, but TCU could be in the mix, you know, for a top two or three or four spot and, and potentially a top five seed, um, in the, uh, 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 Big t- in the NCAA tournament, and you had a well, great. Well, knowing match, hey, that we're going to have a lot of everybody. freshmen, and knowing that uh, our
1: four freshmen are not uh, going to be the three top recruits means a lot. So, I don't think we'll have TCU. that you know seamless integration that Duke had, but I think we have a lot of uh, we have a lot to be excited about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the frogs basically take a roster that was clearly decided into starters and depth, and for the first time in program history now have this critical mass of talent and people are going to be playing roles, not playing uh, as a starter, or as a bench player. Um, and so I think that's going to be really, really exciting to just see the depth of talent that TCU has. Um, I don't think you can overstate the importance of four red shirt freshmen just all at the same time coming in. Uh, but I do think there will be some issues with gelling and there will be some issues with playing together. So, you know, early on, not really many challenges, but could be a little rocky just in terms of style points for TCU. But hopefully by the time SMU rolls around, you know, that what, seventh game of the season, uh, TCU will have figured out the rotation, figured out who works well with what in a game and kind of be, be rolling on at least the offensive side of things uh, early on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, it's going to be fun to watch. I, I know you're heading out tonight. I'm heading out tonight. Um, just really, There's just so much excitement around this program right now. And, and with the way that the football season has gone, having something to root for um, in the winter months is, is going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully, you know, TCU can live up to the expectations. Football clearly did not. Um, but this basketball team has just as high as expectations around them and Jamie Dixon's third year. And, and I think that, that performing up to what they're capable of, staying healthy will be key. Um, but like you said, there, there's depth that we haven't seen around this program, and so they can. while well, you can never afford to lose one of your best players. You feel a little bit better if somebody does go down about having someone that can step in and replace them. And and with true freshmen like uh, Kendrick Davis and Caden Archie, there's a lot to be excited about—not just this season, but but well into the future. And and I'm super pumped to get started and see what they have. I think I think they're going to put on a show this evening. Um, hopefully, something we'll get a chance to talk about on the site tomorrow. Uh, we'd be remiss if we only talked about TCU men's basketball because Reagan Peebley has been building um, a really solid program on the women's side as well. Uh, they opened up with a, an easy victory against Stephen last night. They uh, look like a team that they were. They made a nice run in, in one of the uh, NIT women's NIT last year. Um, could be prime for a tournament berth this year. The Big Twelve is is never easy for the women either, um, but they had some statement wins a year ago and look like they could be a good team. No, you had a chance to take a little bit of a look. Well, first time off, I asked
1: Ken Palm about women's doing women's analytics, learn, but he never responded. Uh, so uh, inquiry, I assume he's just typing out a really long too answer, too and he'll get back to me later. But um, yeah, I just expect. looked at the box score because I, you know, I know that the women's game is a little different than the men's game, just in terms of style mm-hmm. and uh, what athleticism looks like uh, and and how the game is played. But a lot of the things are very similar. And TCU had Amy Okonkwo and Jordan Moore basically win the game. They scored 38 points together, uh, 22 for Moore and 16 for Okonkwo. And that is, you know, almost two thirds of the team's points last night. And so um, I think really riding on, on those two will be uh, a, a solid rock going forward to the season. You know, it's a really, really good thing to have at the beginning of the season, a clear understanding of who you are and what your identity is and, and where, uh, where you're going to make your money. and, Clearly, TCU is going to make their money off of those two, um, who who have looked who looked pretty pretty awesome uh, last night. So I think that would be exciting, uh, getting to know those two names, uh, Amy Oconquo and Jordan Moore. I don't know if I'm saying her last name wrong, but I've said it four times now. So someone correct me. Yeah,
0: okay, hear- you. No, nope, you are exactly right. Um, and anyone that, that had a chance to kind of watch uh, the Frogs play last year, Jordan Moore is a dominant force. I mean, she is not just one of the best players in the Big 12 Conference. She's one of the best players in the country and really came on down the stretch for the Horn Frogs and, and Reagan Peebles squad. Uh, a double-double machine. Kind of reminds you of, uh, of Kendrick Williams in the, that she makes all the hustle plays. Um, you know, she rebounds uh, at, at a super high level. She can score inside. She's just a lot for opposing uh, defenders to handle. And Amy O'Conquo is one of the most fun players uh, that you're going to get a chance to see. She's a transfer from USC. Uh, she can hit the three ball. She, uh, she rebounds, she battles inside, you know, had some conditioning issues and coming over to the program. And so her minutes were a little bit limited last year, but she's certainly expected to, to be a mainstay and a stalwart for this program and, and should be, um, you know, potentially an, an all conference level player um, here in her second yeah. year in Fort Worth. Um, and, and, Someone that's going to have to be great for the Frogs to make the NCAA tournament. She certainly has the talent. There's a lot of fun pieces around that program, a lot of excitement. They score at a high rate, and they play decent defense. So they're, they're very fun to watch. And, and one of the yeah. best values... Yeah, and, and when heck, if Amy Okonkwo goes like, 16 and 11 every, every night, yeah, she'll be, yeah, she'll be in the conversation. Especially. That is a great uh, uh, yeah. She really caters to yeah. families, especially on the women's side. And it's, it's a, just a good way to spend an evening... Yeah, just fine. Uh, also, want to mention TCU soccer. They have made the NCAA tournament for the third consecutive year. Eric Bell has done wonders with a program that was completely dormant and just not a non-factor in Big Twelve play um, prior to his arrival, and has really built them up into something uh, consistently excellent. So they'll host BYU. Uh, BYU won the WCC, which is a really good women's soccer conference. They had one common opponent with Santa Clara. Uh, TC got shut out in California by the Broncos by a score of three to nothing, but, and BYU actually beat them, uh, two to nothing. And so I don't know if that says a lot, but, uh, Garvey Rosenthal is one of the best home field advantages in the Big 12, um, and, and another really good soccer conference. And so that's Friday night, seven o'clock, another cheap ticket. It'll be packed out, I would imagine, but, Highly encourage everyone uh, to get a chance to check it out. That's, that's a really fun team with a lot of good young players, great goalkeeping. They have two that are really, really good and a ton of freshmen that, that can really score goals. Um, so that's a huge, uh, this is a huge moment. The, the winner of this game will go on to face uh, either Texas A&M or UNT. TCU got knocked out by the Aggies last year, so it would be we're looking at potentially an opportunity for a little revenge here against Texas A&M. And we all know that good things happen when TCU teams play the Aggies in the postseason. So hopefully they can uh, they can get a chance to match up again with our friends down in College Station. Um, getting close here to the end of the podcast. It's Been a great show. I, I haven't, love having I haven't Parker seen Parker on uh, bringing so much knowledge and, and statistical information, and just a, a lovely sense of humor as well. Uh, before we go though, we do have some questions. And so <laughs> let's kind of jump into those. Our friend Mountain Man Jim, um, oh good, that's even better. Uh, Mountain Man Jim has not sent you a death chip. So you do not need to eat the world's hottest chip like Jamie to be on the show. Uh, but he's got a couple good questions for us. Uh, how much turnover will we see on the football coaching staff? Will it be over or under the number of turnovers we've had this year? Hopefully under. She hope is upsetting. not. So what you, what I you hope you think the offensive coordinator situation is not the same next year. I do not want...
1: I want us to go get somebody. Uh, I haven't looked around enough to see who exactly is, is out there. Okay. And so that's a little and bit of, you know, the, you know, just... I'm being a little bit of, you, like you know, like an SEC fine bomb fan, fan where I'm like, just go find somebody. But, yeah, I think that... I, I, I'm a little, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just a little worried that, uh, TCU's offensive playbook was fun for a little bit, but the, the, the book is out and so they know. So I would be surprised if the offensive coordinator situation was the same next year is what I'll say. Um, I think that other than that there's not a lot that you are going to do. I think we're, we're going to get to a situation in the next, you know, including this one. So sometime in the next three, three off seasons okay. where uh, hopefully um, we find the right guy on defense and on offense to take a little bit off of Gary so that he can be less stressed about, you know, running the program a hundred percent and calling every defensive play and being a hundred percent, the defensive coordinator. Um, I think easing that constraint on him will help the program overall, uh, big picture. That's not a talent or a system or any kind of critique. That's just saying one man can only do so much. And so I think I, I, I assume that TC's on the lookout for who could come in here on defense and kind of beef up our staff uh, in a way to help Coach P. But I think on the offense, they're really probably going to take a long look at their system this yeah. this offseason. Um, but I don't expect them to get someone who's not air raid.
0: I, I would hate to lose Curtis Looper yeah. from the staff. Yeah that i mean that's really my number one thing and, and and Cumbie's a heck of a recruiter too yeah and and those quarterbacks that are coming in are his guys and so it, it's very touchy you don't want to lose recruits and so you don't want to just make a big sweeping move but at the same time like things obviously aren't working and so do you give him one more shot with potentially Justin Rogers as this QB a guy that that really fits his system or do you cut ties now and hope that that your your kids stay in, in the fold and despite losing their quarterback uh, coach. So it'll be very interesting with a lot of tough changes. Um, you've also got to start looking at the succession plan for, for TCU. I mean, Gary Patterson is not going to be around forever. And, uh, at some point, you know, you, you've got to think that, that he's going to want to hang it up. I, there have been Aggie rumors that he's retiring this year because he's tired. I don't believe them because I don't believe that Gary Patterson would walk away with the program coming off of a potentially non-bowl season and, and listening to him talk at press conferences, it does not sound like he's has any intention of walking away anytime soon. Um, but you know, you start talking about Justin Fuente or Zarnel Fitch or Sunday company was kind of the heir apparent for a long time or a guy like Chad Glasgow. There's a lot of folks that have been around the program for a long time. That'll have interest in it. And it'll be interesting for TC to start kind of setting up that plan down the stretch. Uh, also for mountain man, Jim, will Jalen Rager leave early for the NFL draft? Why would you even talk about such things in a terrible season like this? Uh, He's good enough, right? I mean, it's hard to rule that out as a potential uh, thing for him to do after his junior season.
1: I mean, honestly, after winning in the Heisman Trophy his junior year and leading TCU to an undefeated season, <laughs> I just don't know what else you could want. So yeah, go get paid, dude.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. If he, I mean, if he, if he performs like this another year, he'll have a shot. But the good thing is, is that he's gonna have to have a quarterback that can actually get him the ball, so he can show out. He may not have that next year either. Uh Will we see any? Frogs drafted in the first five rounds of any professional sport, and who will be the highest draft pick uh, next year? I'm assuming is what he's saying there. Um, Base- baseball, probably. I, I, I don't, I
1: don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Probably baseball. Um, ben Banigu has a chance still, despite having limited production this year. Um, I still think he's a first or second round draft pick uh, this spring, and will probably be the highest drafted frog. Yeah, that's uh, this that's year. probably
1: smart, just because. I mean, he was definitely a first rounder last year, um, and I think that doesn't change. I think teams are smarter. He's kind of a freak. He's probably the best. Yeah, he's probably the best to do that. I I don't know when TCU will have a basketball player drafted. Now that I'm thinking about that, but I think you've got some guys coming in that in you know three years could be a a development pick. So, uh, but yeah, in the well, short term, I, I think basketball I or football.
0: I will say Jordan Moore is a senior oh. and will very likely be an early, not just a first-rounder, but a top 15 pick in the WNBA, um, or, or I guess I don't know how many teams they have now, probably less than that. She will be drafted at the first round of the WNBA yeah. draft this year as well. She used to do what she's doing. Um, NBA-wise, uh, Fisher stays healthy. He's a guy that's very intriguing to NBA scouts. Um, Desmond Bain is another guy. If he can consistently put together – uh, scoring stretches, you know, he was very inconsistent last year, uh, but he's super explosive. I mean, he's a guy that could be a late first-round pick if he decided to leave after this year, but definitely after a senior season. Uh, and then he wants to know what the latest is on Kendrick Williams. Uh, Kenny's on on the team. He's really only played in, in one or two games so far this year, um, and that's just because the Pelicans have been really good and really competitive, and so he's had limited opportunities. But he did get on the board. He scored his first NBA points, at his first NBA three-pointer, uh He is not a guy who you're going to hear much of this year, um but he's a guy that I think down the line that we can expect to have a very very solid career in the n b a is probably an eighth or ninth man on a good team um but he's I think he's a guy that just will find a way to stick around uh,
1: and because he's he's the kind of uh, guy you want to have on the time. uh practice squad, you know hustling challenging your challenging your players and all that, oh, and sure. so I think he'll develop a reputation as one just an all around good guy who'll be good in the locker room and to give you mm-hmm. some really solid deep minutes, but also some really great practice minutes that, that matter a whole lot too. So yeah, I, I, I think um, he won't, he won't get many stats this year, but he's building a reputation and he will be uh, around.
0: And then Handy Vandy wants to know why barbecue chicken is the worst type of barbecue or the worst type of chicken. Um, do you have heavy thoughts on barbecue okay, well, and chicken and how it relates first to off, barbecue?
1: pineapple chicken is the worst kind of chicken. So Uh, bad question. Um, also I, you know, what is what was that? What was that username again?
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, So I
1: mean, wait, you think they're Nashville, East Tennessee, they're probably eating all this weird vinegar stuff or have been going around to these artisanal, whatever sauce and chicken nonsense, uh, that they do out there. Yeah. I don't, um, I think you're just, you're just buying it at the wrong place. I think chicken is a very, It's a wonderful protein delivery system and it, uh, is a great vehicle for flavor if it's done well. So I, I hard disagree.
0: And if you've had Alabama barbecue chicken with that white sauce that, you know, is just hot mayonnaise, but it's still somehow really delicious. Chicken can be great. And I, I smoke a mean chicken. I'm all, I'm okay with chicken. Um, that's actually it for the questions. I think we got, I got those up a little bit late today. And so there aren't a whole lot of questions of us, which is fine. Um, so before we head out, it's time to give our predictions on Saturday's game: uh, TCU at West Virginia. They are, I believe, uh, eleven and a half point I'm, dogs. Or is that right? I don't think there's an S and P
1: prediction yet, which makes me—I don't look at the Vegas lines because I don't know anything about that. Um, projected margin: ten point four by S and P.
0: Okay. So, uh, I guess at this point, we don't ask, do you think KC will win? Do you think that they can cover the line?
1: No. <laughs> no, this is not a fun season. Yeah. It's not going to be fun on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think, I think West Virginia beats us, uh, as bad as or worse than obi did.
0: Wow. That is sad. Um, I wish I could disagree. I had planned to go out to Morgantown. I went two years ago, one of the the greater experiences of my college football fandom life. It was snowing. We got our butts handed to us. I mean, we played terribly in that game. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and so I was all geared up to go again. And then this season happened, and I remembered, hey, I've already watched ECU get it handed to them in Morgantown. Um, I'm not going to pay to do that again this year. Uh, definitely a place I'd like to go back. It's just it's not going to happen in 2018. Um, I, I think TCU is going to fight as hard as they can. I think that the energy level will be better. The attitude, the effort will all be good. But at the end of the day, uh, I just don't think the Frogs have enough healthy bodies on defense. And and they just don't have the talent on offense right now to be able to keep up with that machine. And so uh, give me West Virginia 41 to 17. I'm going to say Michael Collins leads them on a couple touchdown drives. And, Someone makes the because uh,
1: We can do that sometimes. Yeah, uh, you have, you have I think I'm going to go. go um, a... I'm going to go back on what I said, but I'm going to say OU 45 TCU 13. What did I say? Oh no, God! Virginia I don't want to play yeah. OU again. I don't
0: think we have to. Play I went OU
1: back. Yeah, I went yeah, back and OU looked up the OU the score winners. so I could yeah, provide no, a frame back. of reference for the claim that I just made, kind of offhandedly. And so I was thinking about it. yeah, West, West Virginia 45 yeah. TCU 13. Wolf.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds probably about right. Uh, this has been the Frogs of War podcast. Subscribe on iTunes the podcast channel, which is Frogs of War by Frogs of War. Take a few seconds to leave us a review. Um, you guys know the way the algorithms work with, with iTunes and all that. Um, every positive review really, really helps. Um, every negative review makes me cry, um, but go ahead and leave those anyways if that's how you feel. We want to get better. Uh, but we really appreciate you guys listening. Big week for TCU. Uh we're gonna head out and, and hopefully celebrate an opening uh season win by CC basketball and uh pray for miracle on Saturday, or maybe a blizzard and the game can't be played. Also would be perfectly acceptable. Uh thank you so much, Parker, for being on. You guys can give him a follow at parker underscore dot fow. That's the Twitter handle, correct? Parker underscore FOW. You can find me at D-Coach Melissa.